Um, the fourth mindfulness training, deep listening and loving speech. Aware of the suffering caused by unmindful speech and the inability to listen to others, I'm committed to cultivating loving speech and compassionate listening in order to relieve suffering and to promote reconciliation and peace in myself and among other people, ethnic and religious groups and nations. Knowing that words can create happiness or suffering, I'm committed to speaking truthfully, using words that inspire confidence, joy, and hope. When anger is manifesting in me, I'm determined not to speak. I will practice mindful breathing and walking in order to recognize and to look deeply into my anger. I know that the roots of anger can be found in my wrong perceptions and lack of understanding of the suffering in myself and in the other person. I will speak and listen in a way that can help myself and the other person to transform suffering and see the way out of difficult situations. I'm determined not to spread news that I do not know to be certain and not to utter words that can cause division or discord. I will practice right diligence to nourish my capacity for understanding, love, joy, and inclusiveness and gradually transform anger, violence, and fear that lie deep in my consciousness. Um, I joined the Sangha um, just a little while after my partner and I moved here, which was January 2018. And I had not been part of a formal um, Sangha ever before. I'd been practicing meditation for a little while. Um, I'd been practicing um, a version of mindfulness for a long time <laughs> in terms of the, the idea of basically um, just trying to be much more intentional about my thinking. And the way that I practiced that, um, or I had a lot of opportunities to do that because um, I worked with a group of educators um, as um, I, the reason we moved out here was I retired uh, um, from being a professor at Iowa State and um, we had always wanted to come out to the West so that we could spend more time pursuing our favorite hobby, which is fly fishing, which we've been able to enjoy much since we've gotten here. Um, and, um, but during my career, I, I got connected with a wonderful community of people who were really interested in helping students learn. And so um, one of the, the big things that we learned in that was to learn to help ourselves and students to think about our thinking, which was really a revelation to me when it was first brought to my attention. Oh, there's this whole thing. And, and yeah, there are parts of it that I'd been doing maybe just intuitively, but, but to do it really, really deeply. Um, par and part of what, um, what helped me with that was discovering the work of a couple of educators named Art Costa and B, um, uh, or Benna Kalik, who have this 
discipline that they refer to as habits of mind, which is something that a number of different school districts and some universities all around the country and different parts of the world have developed. But it's basically a set of 16 different specific ways that we can think about using our minds well. So part of my practice is doing that, and I feel like deep listening and loving speech really um, coincides beautifully with some of those habits of mind. But the other part of my own practice is not just mind, but heart. And, and um, I guess I just I feel fortunate that when I, for many reasons, decided to take up meditation again, um, I discovered an approach to it that um, was referred to as heart-centered and just, you know, focusing, focusing on, on love, focusing on being loving and thinking about that and, and just that as a, as, a, as a part of life, which, you know, I guess is what I think I'm here for anyway, is to learn to love. Um, so, so one of those habits of mind and heart is listening with understanding and empathy. So deep listening, and I, I, I love this training because it starts with deep listening, and um, it seems to me that that um, that it's all about intentionality. It's all about what are the things that I need to do to put myself in a place where where I'm I'm interested in hearing what someone else has to say, and. I'm at least doing the best I can to try to, you know, put myself into their shoes. Um, and I can remember this really interesting and um, painful conversation to me um, that I had with some of my friends and who are these professors who are in this learning community together, where, you know, we were talking about this idea of empathy. Um, We'd been trying to incorporate more emotional intelligence into our work with students and, and had the sense that both, you know, our sense of being able to understand where our students were coming from and their ability to incorporate empathy into whatever discipline they were studying, whether it was nutrition or mathematics, which may sound a little odd, but, you know, there are a lot of really interesting ways of whatever you're studying, you know, where I think there's, there's a depth of of what you're doing that can come from being able to think about how what you're doing relates to other people and, and your ability to empathize with them. And, and one of my close colleagues who um, was a cancer survivor, you know, was you know, was basically saying, well, he just didn't, he just really didn't think that you could actually really empathize with someone unless they'd had that experience or you, you'd had the same experience that they'd had. And I, at the time, you know, I was really of, you know, not of that point of view, you know, of more of the point of view of, well, you know, the whole idea of empathy is being able to, you know, feel more with what someone else is experiencing, even if you haven't had that experience. But it, it did seem to me that, that um, being willing to listen deeply to 
someone who had a different point of view about something that really mattered to me, made me, um, I think, deeper in my understanding of that and more cautious in, you know, in anything that I would begin to claim that I actually had empathy for someone if I hadn't. I, you know, and, and on some level, we each have our own experiences and no one else, at least I don't, I don't know of any way that I can know what anyone else is actually feeling. I think I can get close to it and I want to be close to it. And I, I, you know, I aspire to that. So I, I think that that's, um, all I can say is that it seems to me that the striving toward it is a really essential part of being a human being. I also think that it's really interesting that this training moves from, from introducing the general idea to focusing as much as it does on anger before it starts to talk about loving speech. And maybe that's obvious to you. And a lot of my closest friends would be laughing their asses off if they heard me talking about you know, wanting to hold forth to anyone else about anger because <laughs> I, um, I just, you know, I've, I've had an, an angry life um, in many ways. And um, it's not that a lot of it's not righteous. <laughs> I mean, whatever. You know, you're a woman in a, you know, a profession. I mean, there's just stuff that happens that it's like, what are you thinking, you know? Um, but, um, you know, my dad was always really angry. And I, I really you know, had that in, in life. And in fact, my family, the Hendricks, um, <laughs> we, we always used to joke when me and my, my cousins and, and aunts would get together, you know, there's this Hendrix stripe. <laughs> there's this, just this sort of this sarcastic kind of angriness there that we just sort of have. And um, yet I, I think the, the habit of mind and heart of managing impulsivity is, a, is really important and useful. Um, I know that, that that is a really strong impulse for me, is you know, to react in anger to something. And you know, I can remember, I can remember when, you know, um, and I, I, you know, in thinking about doing this talk, I go back to something that Ashley said a few months ago, where she, um, and I'm sure I'm going to mangle this a little bit, but she, she really talked about the idea of being able to much more, in a much more nuanced way, um, explore one's emotions and really be able to name them and understand sort of the, the texture and the shades. So one of the things that I've done is really think about the shades or the textures of anger. And, you know, I can, I can recall um, at the age of like five and a half, my sister was one and a half. And, you know, we were out in the backyard and, um, you know, I guess I was showing her how to smash rocks with a brick. And she just like stuck her little hand under there and I smashed her finger. And my dad got so mad at me because he was sure that I deliberately smashed her finger. And I was just like, you know, just I was so filled with righteous indignation that how could he think that? How could he cast aspersions on my character? I would never do that to my sister. Um, 
And so that's something that's carried on with me. And I guess maybe that's not maybe a bad stripe of anger. I think um, I feel blessed to have a sense of um, what I've heard called more of a muscle for justice coming out of anger at empathizing and you know some of my own experiences, but more you know hearing people talk about their experiences of oppression or being discriminated against or just you know being not treated as well as every human being should be, and that's been a really powerful. Um, you know, important motivation for action for me in many ways in my life and continues to be. But, you know, then there are other shades of anger. Um, Pat and I decided we wanted to go see The Favorite, which um, we saw before Melissa McCarthy came out at the Oscars with her lovely cape that had little bunnies on it. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, so we, we went to see this R-rated movie, and after the movie had started, in behind us comes this, I don't know, family with like a three-year-old. And of course the three-year-old is asking questions here and there, and they're trying to get settled. And you know, it was like, um, you know, the anger when there's a, this mosquito, apologies to Lynn's, but this mosquito that keeps coming and you just want to smack it and it just, then you miss it and it just keeps coming back. And, you know, like there was no way in hell that I was going to turn around and say anything to them. Um, but it was just this, you know, interesting shade of anger of just, there's this just really irritating, stupid thing going on. It did seem to me a little bit to help. Um, to try to think about what they might, what they might have been thinking, <laughs> you know. I mean, what what was you know? Like I could get, you know, if if you were parents of a small child, that you might want to go see an adult movie, and you might also be thinking, well, you know, she's going to get bored in a little while, and it's going to be, you know, go to sleep, and it's all going to be fine. Well, it ended up, you know, so just just being patient and trying to reframe it a little bit in my head did seem to help a little bit. And then they eventually thought better of their decision to be there. <laughs> but, um, you know, there are a lot. So it was, it, it is helpful to me um, to think about um, not only breathing, <laughs> you know, taking a walk, you know, remembering, you know, to just even pause just slightly to, like, move outside of myself in my angry impulses. And to, you know, and there are lots of other things that can be done to help with that. Um, which brings me to loving speech, which, you know, I love the phrase here of thinking about, you know, what are, what are words that inspire confidence, joy, and hope? And I'd like to pause just for a minute and ask, ask you each to think about for yourselves, um, just, you know, what's, what are some words that you've said to yourself or someone said to you? Um, just hold that thought for, for a minute. And so I just want to be quiet and, and give us each a chance to think about that. Words that inspire confidence, joy, and hope.
I'm, I'm probably did not give some of you nearly enough time to think about that. I apologize. But um, it does, um, so uh, for whatever reason, um, I guess basically because I was interested in really working on, um, on a couple of habits of mind and heart, um, both thinking interdependently, which led me to this sangha, but also to thinking about the idea of loving speech, um, and and also then thinking about c communicating, you know, the habit of mind of communicating with clarity and precision, and um, and so think thinking about um, about this, I I decided that I would just have a Twitter practice, and I imagine most of you probably don't bother with this because it's full of a lot of people who are really angry about just about every last thing and are complaining n no end. But um, I decided that it would be a wonderful part of my practice to really have that intention of loving speech and, and putting that out there. And um, so I've been doing that and I do it every day and it's... Um, I guess it just gives me a lot to think about just speaking from my heart, my experiences, things that are going on just in my life or in the world or in the greater world, um, because there's so much that, uh, you know, that I'm interested in learning about and um, feel like is, you know, worth sharing with people. Um, and that I think can do, has, has those characteristics of, of inspiring um, so I do that, and, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But I also thought that the part of this training about inclusiveness was really interesting. So I, um, I want to just take a minute. I had a, a wonderful experience with, I thought, an aspect of loving speech. Um, that's a really fundamental aspect of it, which is just the aspect of... Um, learning someone's name and using using the name that they prefer to be called and just thinking about names thinking about you know just that basic practice of 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 you know n naming each other as as we're interacting and um there's this wonderful talk about um the uh, crow indian um chief plenty coops um by um a Crow Nation member, Aaron Bryan, who's also an anthropologist, um, just at the university last week that I had the chance to go to. And he was um, generous enough to share some of the details of his clan and the Crow tribe as he understands it in terms of the significance of names and naming. And so one of the things that I thought was really intriguing was that one of the names that he was that he was given and how Plentiku got his name was not not about the person, not about Aaron, but about someone who his father um, and in 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 his part of the crow um, you're connected with your spiritual 
clan through your father. So your father has a responsibility to figure out who's going to name you. And so he, he got, his father went to someone who, in their spiritual clan, who he respected, connected with. And then the name of, Aaron's name was um, given, named for this other person. And it just struck me, wow, you know, my name was just like, my parents, I think, just thought, oh, this sounds nice. And it just, it just made me think, what, what would it be like, you know, if you lived with people who were that much more con- connect? I mean, potentially, I mean, maybe it would mean more or less to different ones of us, but that much more connected with each other. So, uh, and the other thing that, um, that Aaron had the ability to do um, was to go out and search for his own spirit name. And that just struck me as, wow, that would be cool. You know, I, I feel like there's something in me that calls out to sort of search for that. So anyway, you know, just sort of understanding that. And it, it just seemed to me that that phenomenon of, of naming was really connected with this whole practice. The other, just to, to finish, um, I, I feel like... Um, I want to share just one example of one of my Twitter, um, my, one of my tweets. Um, so I do a lot of hiking. I've talked about that. And one time we were out just coming back down uh, Moose Can Gully. It was a beautiful day. You could just see this trail in the snow heading down into the trees the trail to somewhere, shaded, then light, on and up, and always inward. One, you know, what I want to leave you with is within the um, Mindfulness Survival Kit, talking about this training, um, it talks about practicing the six mantras in order to more deeply um, move into this practice of deep listening and loving speech. And so I just wanted to share the fifth of those mantras is, this is a happy moment. And I just want to share that with you, that say, saying this inspires me. I, it, it, it seems to inspire confidence, joy, and hope. So I just want to say to you, this is a happy moment. Thank you.